Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. We're excited that you're here and back, um, and uh, we're going to continue in our Genesis series. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 21. Uh, if you've uh, missed uh, any of the previous weeks prior to Easter, I encourage you to go back uh, and pick up on those. And as you turn to Genesis 21, I want to share something really exciting uh, in the life of our church as we continue to grow, as we continue uh, to move uh, towards uh, autonomy, one of the big things that uh, we are in the process of doing is putting together uh, how we will govern ourselves as a church. Um, and uh, we are in the move towards uh, having an official elder body. Uh, but uh, our hope is we don't want to bring people from outside of TriStar to do that. The hope is to build that from inside TriStar. And our first step in that process is the formation of what we have called our leadership advisory team. Uh, this is a group of men inside of our church. Church, uh, that we want to invite into kind of like a year-long journey uh, together for us to get to know them, them to get to know us, and to evaluate uh, are there potential elder candidates within these men that we can uh, raise up and to put into elder positions who will be a part uh, of governing and leading our church in the future. Um, and so you may get a phone call. Part of what we've asked these men to do is we've given them multiple families within our church and we've asked them to shepherd them. We've asked them to uh, uh, take care of them to, you know, you may get a phone call from them checking in to see how you're doing, how they can pray for you. I just didn't want that to catch you off guard and be like, hey, who is this person and why are they calling me and, and what is this that they're up to and are they elders? They are not elders yet. At the time that we get ready to instate elders, um, our congregation will get to vote on each individual elder candidate. So that is coming way down the line, uh, but just wanted to give you a heads up um, so that you're aware as they begin to move into that span of care with you all. If you have questions on that and you'd like more information, maybe to talk with me about it, feel free to reach out um, and I'll be happy uh, to talk you through that. Let's jump in. Let's dive in uh, this morning. I would love for you to think back um, to a time where you had to anticipate and to wait on something uh, that you were super excited about, right? Maybe it was uh, a marriage. You were in the engagement period and you cannot wait to get married. And there's that longing and that excitement and that anticipation of uh, a wedding that is coming. Maybe uh, for some of you in the room, it is the anticipation of a child, right? Um, it is that we cannot wait for this child to be born. What is their life going to be like? What will their personality be like? So much excitement and anticipation around that. Maybe it's uh, a concert that you're looking forward to going to, right? You can't wait to go see uh, Garth Brooks because he's the best, uh, you know, uh, uh, artist of all times, right? Uh, maybe it's a concert you want to go to or a vacation that you've been waiting on or a present uh, at Christmas or around a birthday. Uh, 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 last year, we uh, planned uh, a bucket list trip uh, for our family, and that was to go to the Rocky Mountains. Uh, we had never seen it. We live in the Smoky Mountains, and they're beautiful. 
beautiful, but we had always heard about the Rocky Mountains, how incredible they were. And so we booked this trip in September. We were going to go to Colorado and, and stay with my uh, best friend from high school, and we were going to go and see the Rocky Mountains. And, and we were so excited. Literally, every day before this trip, we talked about what we were going to do, what it would be like uh, to see the mountains, all the places we were going to go do, all the activities we were going to do. But I can tell you this, there was nothing like standing in the middle of Estes Park for the first time and seeing the beautiful Rocky Mountains off in the distance. We took, I remember Carmen would take a picture and she'd be like, look how beautiful this is and show me the picture. And she'd go, oh, this picture doesn't even like, what, like my camera cannot capture how amazing this is, right? There was nothing like standing there and taking it in and experiencing the fulfillment of this trip that we had waited on for so long. The experience of something that you have waited on. And that is where Sarah and Abraham are going to find themselves here in Genesis 21. They have waited and they have waited. And there is nothing like the experience that like what Sarah is about to experience when she holds Isaac in her arms for the very first time. Now I'm going to be honest. I was sharing with our team uh, before we got going. I don't know if you know, but before anything is set out in this place, before uh, any kid space is set up, our team gathers gathers um, and uh, we pray together and we cover this place in prayer. And as we were getting ready to pray, I was sharing with them about, you know, uh, the, the, we've been in this series now and we've been dealing with Abraham and Sarah for what, like four or five weeks? And I'm going, this is taking forever, right? Like I can't imagine how Abraham and Sarah felt, right? Like it's, it has felt like eternity that we have been talking about this promise from God. And yet, Imagine how Sarah and Abraham feel as they have waited for 25 years for the Lord to come through on his promise. Think about that, 25 years. I have never waited on anything for 25 years. I wouldn't be able to. I don't have the patience for it. My wife can attest. Like I've got about this much patience in my body, but I cannot imagine, right? God promised that he would bring them a, a land that was for them, right? He promised and for 25 years they have waited on this land. It's not even theirs. They're living in it, but it is not theirs yet. And here's what is amazing about Abraham and Sarah's faith. They will go to their death never having possession of the land God promised them. The only piece of land that Abraham and Sarah ever owned in Canaan was their burial plots. Think about that. Yet they trusted God. They had waited for 25 years for the promise of a child to come to fruition. Sarah is 90 years old. Abraham is 100 years old at this time. An entire century has passed for Abraham. And yet they still find themselves waiting. And what we're going to see here in Genesis 21 is we're going to see God fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah. But we're going to find uh, a couple of facts in this, uh, in this uh, chapter that are going to teach us uh, how, uh, or that, that are facts we've got to wrap our minds around. We've got to get our hands around if we're going to walk with God. 
And these are facts that we need to understand before life gets haywire. We need to put our, our, our minds around and get our understanding. We need to know that these facts are true if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to live a life like Abraham and Sarah, who can walk through long seasons of faithfully waiting on God. And so let's dive in and see what God wants to teach us this morning. Genesis 21, uh, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and she bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me for everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah who uh, would nurse children, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. It has taken 25 years for this promise to come to fruition. And you have to realize that there had to be moments for Abraham and Sarah where doubt crept in. There had to be these moments where Sarah looked at Abraham and said, just give up on this dream. God is not going to bring it to fruition. We know this is true because she convinced him to bear a child with her uh, slave, Hagar, right? So we know that there were those moments of doubt. And yet God was faithful to his promise to them. God proved himself faithful. In fact, the wording here uh, is uh, indicative of very strong language in nature. This is an overemphasis on the fact that God did as he has spoken. When you go back and you read verses 1 and 2, you're going to hear multiple times, and God did to Sarah just as he had said he would do. Multiple times, it's going to overemphasize that God did exactly what he had spoken he would do. Why is it repeated over and over and over so that we would understand that God's promises never fail? Amen? God's promises will not fail us. God's promises never fail even though you and I fail. And that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around at times because we live in this world where people fail us. The people we love most will fail us. Your parents are going to let you down. Your children are going to let you down. Your boss is going to let you down. Your coworkers are not going to keep their end of the bargain at times. And yet God is not like any of them. He will not fail us even though you and I fail. The promise of a son to Abraham was not fulfilled because Abraham was perfect in his obedience. I need you to understand that. A lot of times we glorify Abraham and say, oh, he was this perfect guy. And because he walked so intimately with God, God fulfilled the promise. No. God fulfilled the promise because he was God and he promised it regardless of how Abraham chose to act because Abraham was a flawed man. If you go back just one chapter earlier, 
If you go back to chapter 20, you're going to see this on full display. Abraham, remember when he went to Egypt with Sarah, before they ever had kids, he was terrified that they would kill him and take Sarah as his wife if they found out. Remember, he lied to Pharaoh. He said, this isn't my wife. This is my sister, right? Now he's facing King Abimelech in chapter 20. And what does he do? The same exact play all over again. He lies and says, this isn't my wife to save his own skin. Just one chapter earlier, he deceived someone else to save his own skin. And yet immediately after that bad choice that he's already experienced in his life before that brought uh, difficult circumstances into his life, he chooses to do the same exact thing all over again. And then right after it, God is faithful and he delivers on his promise to Abraham. Because the promise was fulfilled because God was faithful to his word, not because of how Abraham chose to live. And God's promise to love you and to love me is an unconditional promise that is there regardless of how faithful we choose to be to him. There is this dangerous, faulty view in the church that we have that believes that, hey, if I do this or I do that, then God is going to somehow love me more, right? If I will just be good and if I will just do right things and if I will just be faithful to him, then God will pour out more of his blessings on me. And we see that kind of mentality in the Old Testament, but it is not true for us today that God will somehow provide greater in my life the more obedient I am to him, the more perfectly I follow him. And if this were true, friends, then Abraham should have had the promise taken away from him. Because he is a habitual liar, a repeat offense liar, and an adulterer who was not willing to wait on God. And what we see here in this story is this first fact, and that is that God is faithful to his promises regardless of our actions. See, if we're not careful, we'll begin to believe this faulty view that God's goodness and his faithfulness is somehow dependent on how good and faithful we are. And that if we'll just be better, if we'll just do better, then God will pour out more on our life. That if we'll just be faithful to him, he'll be faithful to us. But if we're not faithful to him, then he'll pull back away from us. I was talking with a friend who's walking through difficult circumstances right now with sickness with a child. And he looked at me with just tears in his eyes and going, somehow I feel like God is punishing me for something. And I said, can I just challenge you and say that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not how God works. Difficulty in your life is not somehow God toying with you and punishing you and putting you down for mistakes that you have made. Second Timothy reminds us in chapter 2 verse 13 that he is, uh, that if we are faithless, God will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. Think about this. Just one year ago for Sarah and Abraham, 
When an angel visits them and tells them the time has arrived, a year from now the Lord will return. He will uh, make Sarah uh, conceive a child and she will bear a child a year from now and you will call his name Isaac. And Abraham laughs, remember? Just a year before, Sarah laughs. And not a, 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 a laughter of delight like we see here in chapter 21. It's a laughter of doubt. It's a laughter of ridicule, of, of mocking God. But in the moment that Isaac was born, every single doubt they had melted away. And Abraham was moved to obedience. He followed in obedience and he immediately named the child the name that God had told him to name him. And that was Isaac. Immediately on the eighth day, he circumcised his son. Why? Because that is what God instructed him to do. He was a move to obedience. This man who a year before had laughed was now obedient. Sarah, the one who laughed in doubt, has now been transformed to a woman filled with joyful faith. She's overflowing with joy at the reality of holding her son in her, own, in, in, in her arms. Can you imagine her reality? Like, like just, just get this picture. She is 90 years old. 90. Like, just think about the 90-year-old the people you know in your life, right? Imagine her as a 90-year-old woman holding her baby in her arms, right, in public, and someone walking by, oh, is that your, your, your great-grandson? No, no, this is my son, right? Like, like can you imagine the, the laughter in those moments? Can you imagine just, like, how amazing she would feel? Like, man, God did this. Everything about the birth of Isaac was absolutely impossible. She was too old. She had been through the change. Like she could not nurse and yet God overcame every bit of that and made the impossible possible. And it cannot, uh, we cannot sit here today as we face difficulties without asking ourselves, what in our life seems impossible? What are you facing in your own life that seems this is not possible? There is no way through this. Can I challenge you that with God, all things are, are, are possible? And let me challenge you, invite God into the equation. When Moses was face up with the Red Sea and had nowhere to go and the Egyptians on his tail end on the back and the Red Sea separated them from freedom, it was impossible. They were gonna die and God parted the sea and allowed them to cross through to safety and closed the sea up and destroyed their enemy. What is impossible for you and I is possible for God if we will trust in him and if we will invite him in. And as we invite him in, in the middle of our situations, if we invite him into the middle of the impossible moments in our lives like Sarah and Abraham did, let me remind you that his delays are not his denials. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years. And yet God came through. In those seasons, it is a moment, it is a time, is it a season to learn that he is a faithful, promise-keeping God. Verse 8. 
And the child grew, <clears throat> and he was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Some scholars here believe that uh, children during this time were not weaned until they were uh, 12 years of age. That's kind of weird. I'm just going to stop <laughs> and go. That that seems a little bit weird and odd. There, there's some moms out there going, Ugh, like real, like, <laughs> like talk about scarring your child for life, right? Uh, most research indicates that this was likely somewhere around two to three years old is the actual time that most kids would be weaned from their mother. And so it's safe to say that Isaac is somewhere around toddler age. Uh, this is a huge day in their house. He's going from being a young child uh, to being independent of his mother. And so Abraham wants to celebrate this monumentous occasion. And he throws a party and invites everyone in their house to come. And they have a barbecue and they celebrate Isaac. It's a day to celebrate the promised son, the heir to Abraham. But not everyone in their house is happy. Because if you remember, Isaac is not the only son of Abraham. There's another son who's now uh, a teenager, somewhere around 12 to 13 years old. His name is Ishmael. And sibling rivalry is about to be put on full display in their household. Because remember, Ishmael, he is the son born to Abraham because Sarah, his wife, was impatient and could not wait on God and convinced him. She said, I can't bear you a child. I'm in my 80s. This can't happen. Take Hagar, my servant. She's young. She can give you a child. Sleep with her. And Abraham listened to his wife. And he slept with Hagar. And Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now Ishmael is a teenager. And he is watching this toddler be celebrated. And he's not happy. And not only is sibling rivalry going to break out between these two, but Abraham is going to experience firsthand the consequences of not waiting on God. Verse 9. Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne uh, to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman, and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son Ishmael. This conflict breaks out between the two sons and it's almost inevitable. Like you, you can't have two boys in a household without there being conflict, right? It's going to happen at some point in time. Uh, and so you have a 12 to 13 year old Ishmael and a two to three year old uh, Isaac who's a toddler and Ishmael is uh, making fun of, he is scoffing, he is laughing at Isaac. Now if uh, you read this on uh, just kind of firsthand read through, our translation really just kind of says he laughs at Isaac. And you would go, well that seems a little harsh for Sarah to respond the way that Sarah did, right? But if you look into the actual word used here, it is more of a mocking. He is mocking Isaac. He is jeering. Um, uh, and there is an indication that there is harmful intent behind Ishmael's actions. And so this is more than just, hey, I'm laughing at you because you're dumb and you're stupid and you pick your boogers and eat them, right? And you still pee in your pants, right? Like It's more than that. This is like, I want to do you harm kind of mocking that is coming from Ishmael. Actually, some translations uh, of this, uh, this word can be translated to mean caress and to do uh, sexual harm. 
Now, we don't know that that's what is fully meant, but what we know by this is that there is harmful intention behind behind Ishmael's mocking and laughing and jeering of Isaac. And so Sarah sees this and she goes into full-on mama bear mode, right? Like nobody's messing with my baby, especially the one that I have waited for for 25 years. You're not going to mess with him. And she perceives it as a threat in two ways. One, she realizes that Ishmael is a threat to Isaac's inheritance as the rightful son of Abraham. Because Ishmael, although his father may be Abraham, his mother is a slave. Yet Isaac is the rightful child of Abraham and Sarah. And so she sees Ishmael as a threat to Isaac's inheritance, a threat to the promise that God had made about their son. She also perceives it as a physical threat because it's mocking now, but, but what's next? Is there gonna be verbal abuse? Is this gonna go on and he's gonna verbally put down my son? Is my son gonna grow up in an environment with a teenage boy who's constantly bullying and threatening my child? Will it turn to to physical acts of violence? She has to remember Cain and Abel who slaughtered his own brother out of anger. And so Sarah says, listen, Abram, Abraham, you've got to deal with this. You've got to send Ishmael away. He cannot grow up in this house. Send him, send his mother away. This will rid me of all my problems. This will protect our child. But Abraham found it hard to agree with Sarah. Scripture says this was a difficult thing for him to hear. Because remember that the last time Abraham listened to his wife, they ended up with Ishmael. Let me just encourage the men in this room. I don't know, I've never had this experience in my household, Uh, but if you're ever in a situation where your wife has an idea and it completely bombs and creates disastrous circumstances in your life, like let me just encourage you, you should never remind her of that, right? I don't have that experience because my wife has never had an idea that completely bombed. Like she's typically the wise one and all my ideas are the one that bombed. But let me just remind, encourage you, it's really not a wise idea to remind your wife of an idea that she had that completely flopped and blew up in your face and like Abraham is doing that right now remember Sarah like like he is the reason like what you're angry about like that whole situation is here and it's your fault you're the one who convinced me to do it but even more than that I don't think that Abraham wanted to reject Ishmael because this was his son and he loved him and even though it was a mistake, even though it was a, an action that he committed in his flesh, he loved him just as much as he loved Isaac. He had poured himself into him. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of uh, your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. And all the women are like, praise Jesus. I'm writing this verse down and I'm going to remind my husband of this many times, right? For 
for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Hey, Isaac is the one I promised. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman because he is also your offspring. Perhaps Abraham didn't want to give up Ishmael because he considered him somewhat of a backup plan, right? Well, if something happens to Isaac, I've always got Ishmael, right? Maybe he would have been tempted to split God's promise between Ishmael, uh, or Ishmael and Isaac. But God did not want Abraham to trust in a backup plan or in a backup son. God wanted Abraham to trust in him. And so Abraham does what we should all do in the midst of a situation where we don't know what our next step is. He goes to God and he seeks God out and he asks him, what do you want from me? And God says, listen to your wife. Get rid of Ishmael. Because he is a son of the flesh. Later in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is going to talk about Ishmael and he's going to compare Ishmael to our own battle with our flesh. He's going to say that Ishmael is a son of the flesh and Isaac is a son of the promise. And he is going to remind us that we are to have nothing to do with the flesh. I think in this moment, God is reminding us, he is showing us in this interaction with, uh, with, with Ishmael that, hey, we have got to be vigilant with our flesh. We have to cut off everything that is of the flesh or it will lead us astray. We must remove any and everything of the flesh. There can be no reconciliation with it. There is no peaceful coexistence. And so God says the son of the flesh, Ishmael, must be put away forever. And friends, the same is true in our own battle with our flesh. We have to put it away and we have to trust in the Holy Spirit and we have to allow him to lead us. We must crucify our flesh or it will destroy us. And so for Abraham, Ishmael and Hagar were the embodiment of his and Sarah's fleshly actions. And they had to go. Because if they didn't, if they allowed that, the, that, that fleshly action to remain in their home, it would continue to wreak consequence after consequence after consequence, and it would only increase. So God says, remove them. As hard as this is going to be for you, Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread and a skin of water and he gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and he sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. You know, this week as I was reading back through this, I couldn't help but think and flash forward to what's getting ready to happen in a few weeks when God is going to instruct Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to him. Remember the story? I think a lot of times we go into that thinking that Abraham really thought, hey, God's going to provide, God's going to do something. But I wonder if on his way up that mountain, he didn't remember that God forced me to put Ishmael aside. I think he really thought heading up that mountain with Isaac, that God is going to make me sacrifice him. 
I already had to give up Ishmael. In this moment, when Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael on their way, he's doing something, he's doing more than just getting them out of his house. There was a practice in this time that if you had a, a bond servant, a slave that was a part of your home, you could free them. You could set them free and uh, give them freedom. And that is what Abraham is doing. It's more than just sending them away. He is granting Hagar freedom. He is granting Ishmael freedom. They are no longer slaves. He was setting them free. But the cost for her freedom, the cost for Hagar's freedom, the cost for Ishmael's freedom is that they would have to relinquish any right and any claim that they thought they had on an inheritance from Abraham as Abraham's son. And he could have, he, he was a wealthy man. He could have loaded them down with supplies. He could have sent them with servants themselves that would have provided and taken care of them. He could have sent them with donkeys and pack animals. But Abraham is being sure that he does not make any provisions for the flesh. He is going to follow in obedience to God. And he is trusting this, that God will do exactly what he said he would do, and that is provide for his son Ishmael that he loves dearly. The second fact we see in this story is that our actions of the flesh have costly consequences. This was a weighty consequence for Abraham. To lose the son that he so loved. Abraham and Sarah we see in this story that our fleshly actions can create complicated situations that are difficult to deal with, that are difficult to walk through. And this was the situation that Abraham and Sarah were walking through. And it was their fault. It wasn't God's fault. He didn't create the mess. They did. It was their fault that Ishmael was an illegitimate son. It's their fault that he is now threatening their legitimate son, Isaac. In their flesh, they tried to rush God's plan. But God does not leave Abraham and Sarah in the midst of their mess that they created for them. The beauty is that God redeems the situation. Even though Abraham and Sarah acted in the flesh, God says he will still bless Ishmael, Abraham's son, because he is a son of Abraham. And God had made a promise to Abraham that from him would come many nations. And so God says, listen up, Abraham. I know it sucks. I know you're sending your son away. But listen, I'm going to turn him into a great nation. And just like Isaac is going to father uh, the nation that will be my people, Ishmael will father a nation that will go on to be an incredible great nation itself. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, Hagar put the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and she sat down opposite of him uh, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite of him. She lifted up her voice and she wept. 
As Hagar and Ishmael travel away from uh, Abraham, eventually their supplies run out and they are left with nothing. She realizes that her son is going to die, so she stashes him under uh, a a shade tree. um, And then she moves away so that she does not have to watch him die. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of uh, God called to Hagar uh, from heaven and said to her, What troubles you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation. As Hagar lifted her voice as she wept, God answered. But what's interesting is that God does not answer her cry. He answers the cry of Ishmael. Ishmael cried out for mercy in some way and for help. And God is teaching this illegitimate son, Abraham, of Abraham, how to faithfully walk with him. Because it wasn't just that God was going to make him into an incredible nation. What we see in this passage as it wraps up is that God was with Ishmael. The mistake that Sarah and Abraham created in their flesh, God says, I will love and I will walk with him. And I will do incredible things through him. Even though this is a result of your fleshly actions. God promises Ishmael's mother, Hagar, He will do great things with his son. He will not die in the desert and they should not fear. Even though Ishmael was not the son that was promised to Abraham, God is saying in this moment, I am not against him. I am for him. I am with him. And I will do incredible things to him. And from the seed of Ishmael comes the great Arabic people that we know today, uh, an, a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and she filled the skin with water and she gave the boy a drink. And God, listen to this, verse 20, was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with a bow and he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took uh, a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The idea is emphasized that God was not against Ishmael. God was with Ishmael and he had a promise for him and he had a future for him and he would be with him. He would walk with him just as he was with Abraham and just as he would be with Isaac. And what we see is a third fact here and that is that God will redeem our circumstances for his glory, even the circumstances that we create in our flesh. By all accounts, God should have given Isaac to Abraham and Sarah and said, you guys figure it out. You made this mess. Figure it out. But that is not how God acts. Even through this sad situation created by Abraham and Sarah acting in their flesh, God redeems it and he does something extraordinary through it. And maybe today you find yourself in the midst of a mess of your own creation. Can I tell you something? Your further actions are only going to make it worse. 
The more you try to dig yourself out of that hole, the more you try to fix it on your own, to just hunker down and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're just gonna make it worse. Be like Abraham, invite God into the middle of the mess. And faithfully follow in obedience as he instructs you on what to do. And what you will see is God redeem your mess. You will watch him redeem the circumstances that are your own fault. But your loving father turns into beautiful things. And yes, the consequences that Abraham faced were hard. They were difficult. But God worked in them. And God brought great things from them in Abraham's life and in Ishmael's life and in Isaac's life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 reminds us that he has made everything beautiful in its time. There is no situation that, God, that is so far gone that God cannot reach down into and bring beautiful out of the chaos if we'll bring it to him. Psalm 130 verses 7 through 8 is penned by uh, the psalmist. Watched a video this week, kind of funny, that called it the palmist. Like, who's the palmist? No, it's the psalmist, right? In response to his own sin, to his own uh, messed up situation that he has created. And I love verse seven, uh, verses seven through eight says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist is writing and he reminds, he says, listen, this situation is our own fault. We've created it. Yet what does he say will happen if we will hope in the Lord? Steadfast love from our Father. Plentiful redemption. That word plentiful is unending, never ceasing from all of our missteps, all of our wrongdoing. Friends, you have no idea how beautifully God can redeem the messes that we have created in our lives. This is the end that we'll hear about Hagar and Ishmael. In fact, the only other time, uh, this is the last time we'll hear Hagar's name mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, the only other time that we will hear Ishmael's name mentioned, and I think this is incredible, is when Abraham, his father, dies and they bury Abraham and Ishmael is there to bury his father. You want to talk about God redeeming a broken and messed up situation. Imagine being the illegitimate child of your father and your father sending you away and you growing up in the desert. What would the Lord have to do in your heart? How much redemption had to take place in Ishmael's life for him to show up to the funeral of his father? I want to encourage you this morning to hold tight 
to these three facts, that we would walk more intimately with God, that when we know that God is faithful regardless of our actions, when we understand that our actions do create real consequences that can be difficult to walk through, and when we remember that God can redeem any circumstance that we experience in our life for his glory, let me tell you, friends, we will walk more intimately with him. God, we come to you this morning thanking you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you walk with us no matter what is going on in our life. Thank you that we can trust you. And we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God, regardless of how we handle ourselves. God, I want to pray for those who are here today walking through a mess maybe of their own creation. Would they turn to you? Would they remember that you can redeem even the most broken of situations? God, help us to walk intimately with you this week. Help us to daily come to the altar and worship you, to be reminded of your faithfulness and your goodness, your kindness and your love and your mercy, even in the difficult seasons that we walk through. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.